the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Now, our engineer is uh, multi-talented. His name is Pete Paquette. He gets us on the air. Andrew Herdaliskis sets all this up. He's the producer. And Sandra Bird joins us in this first segment. Out in the suburbs of Seattle, Washington. And we're going to talk about her book, Dwell. 90 Days at Home with God. Sandra Welcome to sunny Orlando, Florida. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing very well, and it's even sunny in my neck of the woods today. Well, great. Not raining. That's so good to hear. So what about this 90-day journey as you draw inspiration from do-it-yourself projects? What's the background here? What's all that mean? You know, what I wanted to do when I started uh, thinking about this, is I started thinking about home itself. What, what does home mean to us? It's where we long to return at the end of the day or a season or a job away. Home is a place that we honestly share ourselves. We let our guard down. We don't have to have our suits on. The, you know, the word home has so many emotionally resonant phrases. We think of things like our childhood home or grandmother's house, mom's home, a dream home, and uh, for a lot of people, a forever home. So I started thinking if that's if that phrase, if that concept and, and the place itself has uh, so much emotional value for us, how do we invite God into, into our, our daily lives? He's there. How do we recognize him? How do we in, incorporate him into, into our day-to-day living? And as I yielded to that, the Lord uh, began to show me where he was present in our home, what he wanted to teach me in my home, what he wanted to share about his affection for me uh, in my home. And uh, it just it just grew really deep within in the place that I live. I wanted to share that with other readers. Sandra, <clears throat> tell me about the importance of day-to-day habits in our faith walk. You know, habits are something that uh, that we build intentionally, and then after we intentionally build them, they begin to uh, they begin to take over a, a little bit and maybe become more autonomous. I heard a phrase some, uh, somewhere recently. I think it was from James Clear who said, um, "You can either be the victim of your habits, or you can be the architect of your habits." And in our spiritual lives, of course, we want to be the architects of our habits. So if we build uh, a system and a rhythm that builds habits that incorporate God into our lives, they become easier. For example, I have jasmine tea in the morning when I do my devotional or Bible reading. It's the only time I have jasmine tea. The smell of it reminds me it's time to come aside a little bit with the Lord. The taste of it does. I look forward to it. It's something I just enjoy when I, when I set aside time uh, for the Lord. A devotional plays a great role into habits if it's a devotion that you that you enjoy. It's almost like meeting with a prayer partner. It's somebody that uh, you meet with every day. You enjoy their voice. They bring a perspective on God that's something that you might not have thought about or considered. You can even shake up your prayer life in a good way. Sometimes we fall into a, a, a negative habit, maybe, of praying the same thing uh, every day or the same topics, but if you let a good devotional lead you, um, might say, yeah, I haven't thought about that, or 
that's something I need to examine or invite God into that area. Sandra Bird is our guest. We're talking about her book, Dwell. Sandra, explain to us uh, how you gain insights, biblical insights that nurture gratitude and deepen faith. How, do, how does that work? You know, a lot of people ask me a question that's similar to that, which is, what's the difference between a Bible study and a devotion? And, it, and, and the answer to that kind of gets at what you're, what you're uh, wondering about, too. So a Bible study, we kind of approach them from an exegetical sense. We go to the Word directly, we see what it has to say, and then uh, we apply that to our lives as, as the Holy Spirit directs us. Devotionals are, they almost come at it at a backwards way. They're drawn from observations happening in everyday life. We see how God is working in the natural world or in our circumstances, and then we allow the Spirit to lead us to the undergirding scriptures for that. I, I often think of uh, Jesus' parables as much like, much like devotionals. When I, when I started with devotionals, uh, my calling for that is, is grounded in Deuteronomy 11.19, which says, teach them, uh, his words, to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So if the Lord is instructing us to teach our children in that way, you know, it opened my eyes to the fact that he's teaching me that way. What's happening during the day? What's happening when I'm weeding? What's happening when I'm designing my home to be a comfortable place for my family or my guests? What's happening when I'm in the carpool line? So he's present in all of those moments, not just the in-church moments, uh, not just the mountaintop moments, and we grew very intimate um, during that time. And, I, of course, then to circle back to your question, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that he's with me in the washing up moments as well as the, as well as the you know, corporate worship moments. Now, <clears throat> Sandra, I want you to dive into this. Uh, your ability to draw inspiration from do-it-yourself projects like gardening and home decor and more, uh, you're going to have to unravel that one for us. <laughs> I think inspiration is the key word, and that is uh, the the as the Lord gave me eyes to see what was happening. Uh, then I would ask Him, Lord, are you are you teaching me this? Is this for my personal, you know, discipleship, or is this something that you want me to share in in the books? Of course, spiritual gifts are for the edification of the body. And so most of the times when he, he would bring me those insights, um, there were things that I knew were to end up in, into a devotional, which is, which is my calling. I have a great background in the Word. I mean, I, so I have uh, plenty to draw upon and to have the Holy Spirit direct me to. My husband is a chaplain, so we, we spend a good amount of time in Scripture. But then when the Lord, you know, really He just opened my eyes, it's not something I necessarily... Uh, you know, rustled up. But once I began to have eyes to see that, I could see him anywhere. I could see him in weeding my garden. Uh, I could see him in the smell of bread in a neighbor's bringing uh, brownies over, um, in all the things. One of the best lessons I saw as I was, I was uh, my children were growing up, and we had some birds in our backyard, and they built a nest. And they laid their eggs there, and I came alongside and helped bring them some geranium covers so that their eggs wouldn't be disturbed. The birds, you know, pecked their little ways out of the out of the eggs. And then eventually at the end of that season, when those birds flew away, mom and dad moved the nest so they couldn't come back. That That's not what, where they were supposed to go. That's not where mom and dad were supposed to go, and that's not where the birds were supposed to go. And I felt like the Lord was showing me, you know, the nest. The nest is empty, and they're supposed to go someplace, but it's not just a loss. There's a place for you to go to. And uh, I, felt, I felt him leading me in that through, through Scripture and through the, the natural world in which he teaches me. And then I felt led to share that with my, my readers, many of whom are also uh, empty nesters. My guest <clears throat> in the Seattle area, Sandra Bird author of Dwell. 
90 Days at Home with God. Sandra, tell me about day one in your book. Uh, What are you sharing there? Day one in my book. I got 90 days here, so I'm going to take a peek at that for you. So when we talk about this is how I wanted to open open the book, which is drawing near to God, um, because we really are dwelling with Him. And I I talk about how the fact that... um, I like to sit on the couch. We, I have a beautiful view in my home, and I sit there. I can, I can look out the window, do my quiet time. Um, a lot of times my husband will join me. We either watch TV or we might be doing our own devotions. My daughter comes to visit. We sit and chat. We lean against each other. I now have a granddaughter who sits on my couch with me and um, plays her little games with me on the couch. We are very close on that couch, and... Uh, you know, I invite someone to sit next to me, even my dog, pat the couch a little bit. Come on, come close. The Lord has told us that He wants to be close to us uh, multiple places, but the place I look at in this diva is First John four nineteen, and He made that ultimate price to make that closeness happen. That was His first step. I mean, um, you know, we can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, but that uh, sacrifice of Christ says, "I've made the way now for for this closeness." To happen, come and join me, and he does. He does invite us to join him on the couch, in the kitchen, um, wherever we are, are in our homes. And so, I wanted that to be the opening for dwell. God's calling you, draw near to him. He he's made the way. He's with you. I say we we kind of have to have a put the phone down moment. We know he's in our homes with us, but we're so busy and distracted by everything that's going on that we don't. Um, we don't acknowledge or recognize or pause for a moment to feel his presence. We've got to kind of put the phone down and, and feel him in our homes. Now, we've got one minute <clears throat> for you to tell us about day two, then the break. Day, day two. So when I'm talking about day two, I, I live in the Seattle area. Mount Rainier is, is very close. And there's a beautiful section right on the uh, top near Mount Rainier called Paradise. Beautiful uh, spring flowers. It's a lovely place to hike. Um, and from my uh, guest room window, you can see you can see paradise. You can see Mount Rainier when it's when it's a clear day as it is today. So I often uh, look out that, and because the Lord has told us that this world is not our home, there are many wonderful things here, uh, and He, he uh, desires for us to be enjoyed enjoy what He's got here. But what we're really looking forward to is paradise. That is our forever home. This is a beautiful home, and He dwells with, with us here. But we needn't get so attached to putting our, our roots down here. We have one forever home. It's not here. It's it's in it's in paradise where where the Lord has uh, where the Lord has made space for it, for us. And, my uh, my guest is Sandra Bird. <clears throat> She's in the Seattle area. We're talking about her book, Dwell. Uh, I'm Pat Williams. It's the Saturday Power Hour, and you're tuned in to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Sandra Bird uh, in the Seattle area has written the book, Dwell, 90 Days at Home with God. And Sandra is sharing uh, her thoughts on some of these days. Sandra, uh, day three, uh, what are you telling us here? Now, day three is something that's very clear to my, uh, dear to my heart. And I've titled it Running Away from Home. I look back from the first time that I I, uh, tried to run away from home when I was a child. I was upset. I think I think my mother probably told me no to something. So I took a brown paper grocery sack. I sold it with clothes and my Mrs. Beasley doll. And I opened the front door. Uh, we had a door that was a, you know, heavy door and then a screen door. And I, I stood in between the two of them because it was raining. And I clearly remember even as a girl, I was thinking, well, now what are you going to do? Um, and there wasn't anywhere to go. I couldn't walk down the street in the rain. I had nowhere to go. There was nobody that was going to take me in to keep me safe. So I just quietly went back into my house and unpacked my sack and settled my doll back on the bed. And it reminded me that sometimes I feel that way in my faith life. I, I want to run away from home. I'm overwhelmed. 
Uh, I don't see a good solution for what's happening. I'm upset. I feel like I've prayed, and the Lord said the faithful prayers of a righteous person avail much, and nothing had happened. Was I not righteous? But God is is my home. And I think to myself, you know, I, I, I reflect back on Psalm 139.7. Where would I even go? Just like the little girl, Sandra, where would I even go? The The grown woman knows that I don't want to leave home. I don't want to leave the Lord. I feel defeated. Um, but he joins me in that. Even when it doesn't come out the way I want, he he sits down next to me. He dwells with me. He tells me he's care, caring for me, even in those difficult times. And if I go back to Psalm 73, it says, I'm always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me. Uh, whom have I in heaven but you? And and he is my home. No matter how difficult it is, I, I don't want to run away. Sandra, you're on a roll. Day four. What's going on here? <laughs> Day four. So what what I've titled this is is good excuses, and it reminds me of when um, you, we have people over for dinner. Sometimes they sit in the backyard, especially in this season. We sit in the fire pit. Um, we don't want the night to end, especially people we don't see very long, uh, very often. I, I want them to stay longer. Uh, my kids are grown, as we've talked about when they come to visit. I, I don't want the time to end. I look for reasons and excuses for them to abide. Um, you know, abiding is to remain together, to linger in love, to be comfortably entwined in one another. Scripture says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. It's not easy to stumble when the light is on. Um, and I, I look for reasons to be with those I love, including Jesus. I want to abide with my friends. Uh, Jesus calls us his friends, so I'm looking for ways around my house. How can I take a moment and linger with him? Um, what can I do to make this a comfortable place for uh, our relationship with Christ? And then just to show my gratefulness that he chooses to abide in me and that I have to choose to abide um, with him in him as well. Now we're here at day five, Sandra. We're We're rolling. We're rolling. I'll tell you, day five, we live in a really uh, fruit-forward area. We've got a lot of fruit. You know, we've got cherries. We've got apples. You know, supposedly Johnny Appleseed dumped his bag here in Washington State. So we've got a lot of fruit. And one of the fruits that we have so abundantly are our blackberry bushes. My daughter in a home that she lived in had just cascades of, of beautiful blackberry bushes. Uh, outside her outside her home, and we'd sit out there. Blackberry blackberries ripen progressively, so they don't all ripen at the same time. Um, so we would sit out there and we would pick some uh, dark blackberries. They would be juicy and sweet. They they would be delicious, but at the same time, there would still be red berries on there. Very tight, very sour. Um, can actually lead you to have a sick stomach. And, you know, I felt like my um, understanding was illuminated at that moment to understand that we, in our lives, too, in our ministry, in our personal lives, um, we have potential in us for things that are growing, but they are, they are not ripe yet. So often we look at somebody who's a better Bible teacher, who's a better mother, we think, or, uh, you know, is doing better in business. And we feel embarrassed that our efforts are still kind of red berries on the branches, but we are works in progress, and God is working on and in us, Philippians tells us. Someday, if we're patient, those red berries will darken to black. They will be sweet and ready uh, to be harvested for the Lord, and that rather than compare ourselves with other people, um, we should be patient and loving with ourselves. That fruit will ripen in God's timing and be ready to nourish and delight people at, just at that moment. Day six, Sandra, I want to hear about this. You know, I'll tell you, this is something that I've been thinking about quite a bit lately in my own uh, in my own life. I, I like to plan. I like to plot. I like to have a way forward. And uh, I had been having a conversation with a friend who had bought a prepared salad in the grocery store, and there was a, bed, a dead bug at the bottom of the of the uh, container after <laughs> eating most of it. And uh, horrified, of course, she didn't uh, buy any more prepared salads for a while, and neither did I. And it, it brought me it brought me in mind to when God led the Israelites out of Egypt into this desert and was providing manna. 
which was, uh, Scripture tells us, sweet, savory, crispy, covered a lot of taste preferences. It was delicious. But they were not to save that manna from one day to the next except for the Sabbath. Um, and when they hoarded manna, they found it, they found it loaded with maggots, which, you know, just like my friend's, uh, bug at the end, at the bottom of the salad, it's not very appealing. And then, you know, parallel mirror in the New Testament, the Lord tells us to ask for our daily bread, not our weekly bread, not our monthly bread, but to trust Him to provide what we need, uh, day by day. When we try to pre-plan too much or hoard resources, uh, we're kind of showing that we don't trust him. We're kind of showing that um, we need to be in charge of this provision, and, you know, we're not real sure he's going to show up on Wednesday like he did on Tuesday or Friday like he did on Thursday. So I'm trying to uh, not, not have spiritual leftovers. Whatever the Lord gives me for today is enough for today, and to be grateful for that and I do not know what he's going to bring me circumstantially for tomorrow or next week. So rather than me trying to save leftovers from today, you know, leftovers don't taste very good a week after they've been in the fridge. And spiritually, uh, what I need next week is not what I need this week, but he knows what's going to um, transpire and he'll provide just what I need then. We're now at day seven. (laughs) We've done a week, Sandra. Do seven for us. Yes, we've done a week, and it's here we're talking about topiaries. So I love topiaries, which you might know are plants that are oftentimes ivy-related plants, but they're trained into a deliberate shape. So you have kind of a form. Um, a lot of topiaries are, are balls on a stick, but you can have some kind of interesting topiaries. Uh, you can I've seen chicken, a dachshund, Loch Ness Monster, uh, the ones that I choose happen to be kind of French-related, since I like that that style in my home. So I did buy a, a frame for some topiaries, and over the months I would weave the tendrils through the iron frame, and as the plant grew, I would continue to incorporate it around the, the ball further and further, so that eventually what happens is the topiary is the exact shape of the frame, that it's growing around, although you can't see the frame anymore. You just see this beautiful um, round uh, ivy. And that made me think about, so what kind of framework am I growing around? And for parents and grandparents, you might think, what kind of framework am I, am I providing for my children, for my grandchildren, or people I mentor, people that I, I coach? For me personally, I have to say, okay, Sandra, to, to whom am I shaping my life? Um, which reminded me back to Romans 12.2. Can I shape my life to be Christ shape and still and still remain Sandra? And of course, the answer to that is yes. The beauty for Christians is that we are all delightly uh, delightfully different. We're unique. I have a style that's different than my uh, closest friend. That's closest different than my daughters. But we all look like Christ if we have wrapped our lives. Uh, you know, consciously around the frame uh, that he provides for us. And that's really what going to be more Christ-like is. Day eight, Sandra, as we start another week. So one of the things, uh, strange place God teaches me things, including, including cleaning the garage. So I had was cleaning the garage and one one day had it set aside that day for the chore, organizing things, things that needed to be thrown out, things that were going to be uh, donated, things that we were going to keep. And I I stumbled upon a rock tumbler that uh, I had um, played with, or my children had, you know, we'd provided for a time with our kids when they were younger. Uh, we'd made agate keychains. I love agates myself. We'd, we'd done a few things. And I, I recalled at that moment when, uh, when my husband and I had purchased that. So we had just learned that very week that our children were going to have to leave the, a school that they loved, one where they felt safe, they were in a protected environment. But we had some financial pressures and some distant pressures. And the school was going to go, and I, I was having a hard time with it. I, I told the Lord, it's not fair. They're safe there. I was writing books for Christian children at the time, and I thought, Lord, you can't want me to, you know, to write for other Christian children, and then, then you're not going to take care of my children. You know, I, I felt very upset about it. And I, 
as I prayed about it and as I continued, um, you know, to think about it and, and search in Scripture, I felt like maybe the, the Lord didn't want my children necessarily to always be, quote-unquote, safe. He wanted them, in the end, to be useful, useful to Him, satisfied, and Christ-like, almost in a way that we're talking about with the topiary. So when you throw a bunch of sharp-edged, broken stones with some grit and water into a rock tumbler, the action of those stones bumping up against each other produces the smooth, refined gems that we wanted in our keychains and all the things that we made in the rock tumbler. Um, and then when the rocks had been tumbled and scraped, before they had been, they were uh, rough and common, but afterwards they were that smooth. And I felt like the Lord was telling me, you know, I want your children to be polished and beautiful and useful, but they are going to need to bump up against some sharp circumstances in order to get those smooth edges. He was the hand that was guiding the tumbler, though, and that I needed to trust him that where he would he would keep them safe, you know, regardless of the circumstances or, or where they were, um, and help them become the people he wanted them to be. Sandra Bird <clears throat> has been our guest, <clears throat> talking about her book, Dwell, 90 Days at Home with God. We've got more here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM, AM, 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Sandra Bird, our guest in that first segment from Seattle area, Seattle, Washington area, talking about her book, Dwell. Joel Penton is with us. He's right now in the Allentown, Pennsylvania area. Founder and CEO of Live Wise Academy. His book, During School Hours, Why and How LifeWise Academy is Reinstalling Religious Education into the Public School Day. Oh, Joel, I can't wait to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thanks for having me. How did this book come about? Why is it important? Well, we wrote the book to really tell the story about LifeWise and what's happening. Communities all across the United States are taking advantage of what we believe is the single greatest missed opportunity of the last several decades to reach students. And uh, they're, But they're taking advantage of it now, and amazing things are happening. And the biggest challenge is people, need, people don't know about it. And so I wrote the book to tell people about it. Your first chapter... Undoing Public Education, Why Religious Education Was Removed. Tell us about this first chapter. Sure. Well, it kind of tells the story of how religious education was not only foundational to all of education in America at America's founding, but in fact it was the thing that uh, really motivated broad education, was to teach children to be able to read the Bible. But over uh, many decades— Religious education was uh, slowly but surely removed from our public schools. We move to the second topic, unintended consequences. Why removing religious education costs everything? Tell us more. Sure. Well, I in Chapter 2, I delve into, you know, what was the cost? At what cost have we removed religious education? At what cost have we taken the Bible out of schools, and I use an analogy of Jenga. I don't know if you've ever played Jenga, but if you pull the wrong block in Jenga, the whole tower falls, and that's an immediate evidence that something has gone wrong. But most things, it takes longer to see that you've taken the wrong piece away, uh, but that's what's happened when we've taken religious ed out of our schools, is we've removed the wrong piece. We've removed a foundational piece. Uh, we've removed the ability of kids to develop a worldview. We've removed the ability for them to develop uh, character, and um, and that's the piece that we need to put back in. Third topic, unexpected impact. Why <laughs> reinstalling religious education is a game changer. Uh, I want to hear this, Joel. Sure. Well, in that chapter, we go through really four areas in which this the results are in. Studies are very clear. 
that when children have religious education in their lives, they improve in their character development. All risk factors go down. All positive behaviors go up. That's very clear. They improve in mental health. Similarly, risk factors, things like anxiety, depression, suicide, those all go down. And things like uh, fulfillment and other positive uh, attitudes and mental health aspects go up. Uh, We talk about academic uh, performance. When kids have religious ed across the board, they improve academically. And then finally, number four, the impact of having religious ed involved when it comes to a public school is that it engages families and engages the community uh, into the life of the school. And so those are the huge benefits of making sure students have religious ed in their lives. Now, I want you to talk about topic four in this uh, segment about why we're reinstalling religious education. It's simply an obvious choice why religious education creates true neutrality. What does that mean? Well, it means that when we took religious ed out of schools, it was a honestly a misguided attempt at being neutral when it comes to religion in America. But the truth is silencing a viewpoint is not a religious, I'm sorry, is not a neutral move. Uh, Sending kids to public school for 30 hours a week and teaching them about every subject under the sun except God, uh, saying that you cannot talk about Jesus, that God's not mentioned, that's not a neutral message. That sends a message to kids that religion, that God, is unimportant. And so the only way to achieve true neutrality when it comes to religion in schools is for there to be an option for students and for families to opt into a religious education program, which is what um, we're proposing. I guessed in uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania today, is Joel Penton and uh, his book, During School Hours, Why and How LifeWise Academy is Reinstalling Religious Education into the Public School Day. Uh, Before we move on to Chapter 5, Joel, uh, tell me more about LifeWise Academy and its role, its purpose. Yes, thank you. LifeWise Academy is a Um, Bible education program for public school students that they receive during school hours. It's what's known as a released time religious instruction program, and and I, in fact, go into this in the latter chapters of the book, that the Supreme Court ruled students can be released from public school during school hours to receive religious instruction. Uh, If it's off-school property, privately funded, and they have parental permission, and LifeWise Academy is a program that any community can implement Uh, We provide the resources, we provide the tools, the training, and any community can implement to teach their public school students the Bible during the school day. Now, we move along, and we're at uh, Chapter 5, How We're Reinstalling Religious Education with LifeWise Academy. Talk about this new fit that's kind of old, how religious education integrates legally. I want to hear this. Yeah, well, that's really more history about in the 40s, 50s, 60s, as prayer and Bible were being taken out of school, what very few people realized was that in 1952, a Supreme Court ruling, Zorach versus Clawson, spelled out that public school students can, in fact, receive religious instruction. They can get Bible education as part of the public school day. It just needs to be off-school property privately funded, and with parental permission. This is the the best-kept secret, greatest missed opportunity that's been kind of lying dormant for 70 years. And this is the, when we say a, a new fit that's kind of old, it's been around for 70 years, but it's time that we pick it up and take advantage of it to teach public school students the Bible during the school day. Now I want you to talk about <clears throat> 70 years in the wilderness how release time has survived. Right, and this kind of tells the story then, since 1952, how how could this have been around 
for 70 years, this thing of release time religious instruction that students can be released from school, taught the Bible during the school day. But it's been around for 70 years, and what we tease out is that the, the reason is that it's there's so many barriers to entry to start one of these programs. You pretty much have to start a private school. You have to find a facility because it has to be all school property. Then you have to find transportation, curriculum. You've got a you know teachers and then raising funds. There's so many barriers to entry that has stopped the spread of release time. It's only 0.7 percent of students in America have access to a release time religious instruction program. But that is the riddle that in 2019, when we started LifeWise Academy, uh, that we set out to solve. How can we remove those barriers so that release time can spread? Okay. Now <clears throat> it's time to talk about topic number seven, crafting the right tool, how LifeWise Academy was born. And, and this, this is part one. Right. And so that this gets right into the story of LifeWise, our organization, our program, our Bible education program. And it tells how it was inspired by a program in my hometown of Van Wert, Ohio. Back in 2012, they started a release time program. They bought a house next to the elementary school, renovated it to classrooms, started signing kids up. Their, their goal was to have 20 to 30 percent of the elementary school students enroll, because that's about how many kids go to church. But to their surprise, 60% of the entire school enrolled in the first year. And by the third year, 95% of the kids were being taught the Bible on a weekly basis. They reached out to me. I'm, I'm the hometown guy. They reached out to me in 2018 and said, Joel, how can we see this spread to more communities? And uh, through that conversation, we said, well, we, we need to remove the barriers to entry we need to create a program that any community could implement without reinventing the wheel. That's how LifeWise Academy was born on paper in 2018. And then in 2019, we launched our first two pilot programs. Over 60% of kids signed up year one, and it started it started off great. Now, <clears throat> tell us about topic eight. This is crafting the right tool, <clears throat> part two how LifeWise Academy started to blow up in a good way. <laughs> right. Well, after a successful uh, launch of our first two programs in 2019, we realized, okay, we, we think we're onto something. And uh, even through the pandemic, uh, we weathered the storm and expanded into a few additional schools. And we started saying, hey, this is going well. We think communities uh, can use this tool, can get behind this, can teach the Bibles of their public school students. Let's try to serve 25 schools by 2025. That became our goal, 25 by 25. But wouldn't you know it, in the very next year, in 2021, we found ourselves serving 36 schools. And we realized, holy cow, this is, uh, we're not very good at setting goals, and, and um, this thing's going better and faster than we, than we ever imagined. And so we threw the old goal out the window, and we said, well, if the Lord continues to work in this way, what might happen? We did some math and realized, you know what, we might be serving a, serving a thousand schools in the next five years. And so that, in fact, became our goal. Let's try to make this program available to a thousand schools by 2026. And to, to tell you the truth, we're already outpacing that goal. The, you know, that uh, plan for this school year was to serve 84 schools to stay on track, but we served 133. The initial plan was to be in 200 next year, but we're already confirmed over 270 schools across 10 states to teach public school students the Bible next year. My guest, Joel Penton, we're talking about his book, During School Hours. We have more with Joel. Stay with us here. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And you're tuned in to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Joel Penton, the founder and CEO of LifeWise Academy, is our guest. We're talking about his book, During School Hours, 
why and how LifeWise Academy is reinstalling religious education into the public school day. And Joel, we've arrived at uh, Chapter 9. It's a question called Time for a Movement? How LifeWise Looks Today. Tell us more. Yeah, in that chapter, we just asked the question, is it possible that the Lord is doing something that could be called a movement uh, through LifeWise and through getting the Bible back into public school students' lives through LifeWise and Release Time Religious Instruction? And we discussed how a movement is, uh, we know what the ingredients of a movement are, and that is a, a new idea, uh, and that is the right timing, and that is a group of people uh, who just have a passion uh, to continue moving something forward. And those are the things that we're seeing happen today. The, the Lord is, is raising those things up. The, the idea being release time religious instruction, which in a way isn't a new idea, but it is new to nearly everyone. People haven't heard that students, public school students can receive the Bible, Bible ed during school hours, and so LifeWise is kind of that new idea um, coming to the Christian church. Um, the right timing, it, it, the timing seems right because people are looking around and they're looking at schools and they're realizing we need to do something and we need to do something now. Christians know that we don't have time to squabble anymore about secondary matters, uh, that we've got to get together if we're, uh, if we're going to see the next generation reached. And then the, the people coming together, um, just story after story after story, people stepping up for major sacrifices whether that's leaving old careers to join uh, this ministry, whether it's uh, people making just unbelievable donations or uh, people using their platform, uh, it does seem like the ingredients are here for the for a movement of public school students receiving Bible education. And now, <clears throat> chapter ten, the last missing piece. Now, you fit in. That's a wow. What, what's that mean? Yeah, well, that's uh, that's the shorter chapter in the book, because that's just pointing out uh, what the book's been driving at the whole time, and that is that the reader of the book or the listener to this radio program, what we, what we really need is for people to take action, um, and that is that the greatest obstacle facing the spread of Bible education for public school students, the greatest obstacle that we have as an organization, LifeWise Academy, is that people simply don't know. We find that maybe 5% of people know that public school students can be taught the Bible during school hours, and so we need people talking about it. And so if you've read the book or if you're listening, we need you to share the story, to tell others the most practical way to get involved and to, to tell others and, and, to, and to kind of join the movement is to go to the website, lifewise.org, where you can find any school district in the entire nation, and you can and see whether or not there's a, a LifeWise movement that's already started, or you could even start it by signing your name to a community interest list, which is kind of like a petition saying, we want to see this come to our school and so, yeah, Chapter 10 is all about now it's time, now that you've heard the story, share the story, get involved at LifeWise.org. Let me see, Joel, if I've got this straight. You're saying an ordinary citizen can go to the principal of a public school and ask for time to have Bible studies and a time for prayer? Uh, in the in the in the regular school day, um, am I uh, am I reflecting that correctly? Well, what you yes, in that a parent can go to their public their students uh, principal or their school and say, "Hey, I would like my student to be released from school to learn the Bible." Um, however, there needs to be some sort of program <laughs> for them to for them to be released too, and so. Uh, what we've developed is a program that, yes, a community member can go through the 10-step launch process, can work with churches and others in the community to provide this program. And then, yeah, the parents, uh, through the usage of our permission slips, can turn in permission slips to the school. And in the, yep, the middle of the school day, their students can be released to uh, be taught the Bible. 
and where do they go when they're released? Yes, great question. Somewhere nearby. So uh, a variety of facility options have been used. A lot of times there's a church next door or down the road, about half the time that churches are used. Um, But also we have communities that will build a building next door, that will buy a home and renovate it. We've had communities that use modular classrooms. There's, There's a lot of different solutions for facilities, but it does need to be close to the school, and we help guide communities through that whole process. So is this, um, they're not cutting a class. <clears throat> this is during a recess break or lunch break? Uh, you know, that very, yes, you're along, you're heading down the right path. It varies from school to school. They cannot miss core curriculum. Like they can't miss English class. They can't miss math class. They usually schedule it during a time that students don't have something else. And so it's a maybe an independent study time, or they'll maybe opt out of library time because that's not graded. Or as you suggested, maybe a lunch recess combo. Uh, but it's usually students get the class once per week on a rotation. So in the same way that students get choir, I'm sorry, art class <laughs> once a week, uh, they get life-wise, they get Bible ed once a week. And who teaches it? Well, the local community, they, uh, through the launch process of gathering signatures and then forming a steering committee, uh, they also then, once uh, we're down the road, they hire teachers. And so local uh, people, are, are they apply, and the steering committee hires uh, teachers that are, um, that are well-qualified. Sometimes it's former educators. Sometimes it's those who have a lot of experience teaching in church, uh, maybe Sunday school classes, but it's, you know, local people that step up to get it done. So what if one kid has a different time he can do it and other kids have a other time during the day they can do it? And is this daily or is it just once every once a week? And, and, and does that teacher hang around for different time zones to do different kids? Yeah, it's usually kids each get it once a week, uh, but the logistics of scheduling, uh, which is another one of those barriers to entry that we try to help work on, the logistics of that is worked out with the school. And so um, in the same way the school has, you know, usually one art teacher that goes around room to room or the students go to her or him, uh, you know, once a week on a rotation. We work with the school to develop a rotation through the classes that works for the school and works for the students. For example, in one community where we have 95% of the public school students enrolled, we receive two classrooms of students at a time th- uh, uh, about five times a day for three and a half days out of the week. That's how long it takes for each student have an opportunity to rotate through. And so then we have to staff our facility for three and a half days out of the week uh, to teach nearly every student in the school the Bible. What if the uh, administration at this school <clears throat> is strongly opposed to this idea? Uh, then what happens? Yeah, that's a great question. And <clears throat> that's where it varies state to state. So there is a Supreme Court ruling that protects the practice as being constitutional, meaning it could never be called illegal. However, state-to-state implementation is a bit different. Twenty-six states have laws on the books about release time. Uh, Eight of those states use shall language, meaning that if a parent requests for their student to be released, the school has to release them. And I know you're in Florida right now. Florida is one of those eight states that has the strongest language uh, many of the most of the states just use may language, but in all fifty states, it's legal, but it's not necessarily a right. And then the other question: <clears throat> uh, kids walking uh, to this site off campus, uh, are there concerns about that? Well, no more than what you would typically have. I mean, there are certainly liability issues, but those are covered. You know, likewise carries liability insurance. The moment students leave the school doors, there are responsibility. But that's why we have uh, trained volunteers who are all background checked and, uh, as I said, well-trained with safety uh, procedures. And more than half of the time, students actually get on a bus or a shuttle to ride to class. And students, you know, they 
ride in vehicles every, every day. And so uh, there's, there's yes, liability to consider, but nothing uh, that would prevent, you know, a successful program. Joel, what do you want listeners and readers to, to take from this discussion we've had? Well, I want them to realize that this is really a game-changing opportunity, that if if there's any bit of frustration in what's happening with our next generation or our schools, or if there's any desire for the next generation to receive the Word of God that changes lives, I just can't say strongly enough that this is a unique opportunity. We see regularly 60, 70, 80 percent of student bodies enrolling and being taught the Bible, most of which most of these students have never even been to church and lives are being changed. And so I want them to know that. And then I want them to take that next step, not just to hear it and be amazed, but to go to the website lifewise.org and add your name to the list for your community. Every school district is listed. Just search and find your school district where it says find your school your school district where you live, work, or worship, and and sign your name saying, yes, I want to see this happen in my school district, and then share that link with others. Even if you're not going to be the one to lead it, that's okay. You can be the first one to sign the list and forward it on to others and then trust the process to take care of itself as local leaders rise up. Go to lifewise.org, find your school, and sign the list. Folks, <clears throat> our guest has been Joel Penton founder and CEO of LifeWise Academy, the book, During School Hours. It's important to get it. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us here for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We'll see you next weekend. Have a great week ahead. And stay tuned to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a great week. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.